Do you want to be inspired by other brilliant business owners? Find out how and why they set their brilliant businesses up. Discover some of the triumphs and struggles they face along the way. If so, then you are in the right place. Welcome to the Brilliant Businesses Podcast. We interview business owners to find out their story and journey as to how they set their businesses up. We believe that story is an important way of making their businesses shine, and we share those stories on this podcast. Keep building those brilliant businesses. So, hey, everybody, welcome to a Brilliant Businesses podcast. My name is Nick Bryant, and um, I'm very pleased to be back in the Lock Associates Group's um, offices today um, here in Tunbridge Wells, and I'm with um, Joe Milner. Hey, hey, Joe. Hi, Nick. Nice to meet you. Are you all right? Yes, very well, thank you. Good. Looking forward to the bank holiday weekend. Isn't it lovely? Yeah, yes. Yeah. God save the Queen. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, Joe is an associate solicitor and solicitor advocate here at Lock Associates Group. Um, but tell us how you fit in with all, Joe, how it all came about. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, of course. So, I'd say I have you know, been through quite an unconventional journey. Yes. Um, uh, leaving school, I actually joined the Merchant Navy oh, as wow. a dead cadet. Um, so followed my grandfather's steps. Uh, I joined a ship out in South America. Okay. Um, got out there and thought, Do you know what? It's not quite what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, and so I made the sort of conscious decision to say, actually, this isn't quite right. I'm going to, going to leave now. Um, flew back all the way from South America, wow. got back to the UK, <laughs> got home and thought, what on earth am I going to do now? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so at that point, there was a apprenticeship here at Lock, was then Lock Associates. Yeah. Um, I was successful in applying for the role. So I started with Pam, that would have been 10 years ago. Wow. Um, started as an administrative apprentice. Yeah. Thought, you know what, actually this law thing is quite good fun. <laughs> I could see what the lawyers were doing. I thought, yeah, no, that's a, that's a bit of me. So I said to Pam, yeah, I'd like to go off and do my law degree if that would be okay. Um, Pam was very kind and said, yes, of course, go off and do your law degree. And why don't you volunteer with us you know, during your summer holidays, you know, continue to build up your experience. So I went off to do my law degree at Canterbury Christchurch University, yeah. so I kept local so I could stay with the firm. Um, got my first class law degree. And then at that point, I thought, actually, what I quite enjoy doing is being on my feet, public speaking. Um, I thought representing clients in court sounded quite exciting. So I decided to go off. Trans Barrister first. Wow. Um, so that was a year's course in, in London. Uh, the BPTC is what, what they call it. Um, I got called to the bar in November 2018. Um, and the pupillage market, which is the sort of like the training element of becoming a barrister, is very, very competitive. Um, and Pam at that point said, well, would you like to stay with us? I said, mm. yeah, yes, please. I, I really enjoy working for the firm. I like being local. I like working with local clients. Um, and so, yes, I'd like to come back and train as a solicitor. Okay. Um, and so, therefore, I decided I will practice as a solicitor, but I got my high rights as part of my training contract. And what that means is that I have the right to speak in any court in England and Wales. Um, and what it does, it puts me in a position where I'm like for like of what I would have done at the bar. Right. Um, and so, I've come back into the business and because my focus throughout my training has been around the area of business law um, and litigation, obviously, 
Um, I've been working with Pam and driving that side of the business forward. Yeah. Um, whilst also obviously working with our employment lawyers as well, because there's quite a lot of overlap on the work we do. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so yeah, no, I've, yeah. I've been with Pam now for, I'd say just over 10 years. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Looking forward to many future years with yeah, her. Yeah. Um, and driving that side of the business forward. Yeah. So that 10 year period, you've obviously must have learned a lot, um, not just working in the lawyers, but working in, um, within, within this organization. But, Business law. I mean, that's a that's a big topic, isn't it? I mean, break huge. that down for us a little bit, <laughs> if you can. <laughs> huge topic. I mean, yeah. you know, a business. It could sound you know very wide and actually quite dry, but it, it yeah. really isn't. I mean, you know, it covers everything. You know, you you've got a business. You you, know, you can understand that. You know, anything from well, how do I first get up to starting up a business to I've now got a business. How do I trade? What do I yeah. do? So, I mean, I suppose you know, what, what what does my day look like in terms of business law? Well. You know, it could be advising clients on their startups as to, you know, they're going to be a partnership. Maybe they're going to be a limited liability partnership or the traditional company setup. And yeah. what does that look like on either structure and what is the best route for them? Um, and once we've, you know, decided on what that business model is going to look like, looking at, well, what documents we need in place? You know, how's the business going to run? How's it going to regulate itself? Um, and ensuring, you know, those protections are in place for the business. Yeah. Um, but also for its own owners as well. Um, and then, of course, you move into its day-to-day operations. How is it trading with its clients and customers? And yeah. what does that relationship look like? So looking at drafting terms and conditions. So, you know, again, the client feels protected into engaging with the business, um, but also the business is, you know, regulating itself and understands what its protections are in place to working with its clients. Yeah. Um, and likewise with its suppliers. You know, we all, we all work with suppliers. We all get those horrible 40-page terms and <laughs> conditions that yeah. loads and loads of words. What does it actually mean? So... You know, if you're a new startup, there's a lot of financial risk for them. They want to make sure they're protected. So, you know, yeah. sitting down with them, going through those lengthy, horrendous documents and actually explain, well, this is what this actually means. And maybe we can push back on something to try and get some okay. you know, more protection for, for you. Yeah. Um, and then moving on to things like transactional work. So things have gone really, really well. Fantastic. What are we now going to do with the business? Are we going to try and sell it? Um, so I'm working with a few clients at the moment on um, share sales. So it's going to be a complete takeover of the business. Um, and also I've been working with a few clients on asset sales. So there's a particular area of the business that's got quite high value. Mm. Um, and they're prepared to sell it off to, to a buyer. Okay. Um, so I mean, that's really you know, the life of the company from this you know, moment it's born yeah. right through to its yeah. trading. And, you know, some circumstances when things don't go right, um, you know, working with our insolvency practitioners who we work with locally. Yeah. Um, to, you know, take the business through what, what that's going to mean for the owners. Mm. Um, and also what it looks like, you know, for managing their clients and expectations there. Yeah. Um, and what I do find is that my business law area of practice does tie in a lot with my litigation work. Mm. Um, so quite often I'm dealing with shareholder or shareholder and director disputes. And, you know, really that comes from quite often friends or, work colleagues going in to set up a new business things are great at the start exciting new venture um but of course it doesn't always work out and you know then what we're looking at is well how do we deal with this situation how do we move forward Mm -hmm. Um, yeah it's a a relationship isn't it and um, sometimes relationships don't work and um, they have to be solved so i guess so therefore the shareholders agreement is extremely important does that matter i mean does, does everyone have a need to have a shareholders agreement, no matter the size of the business? Or so, I mean, I would always advise it's worth considering, no matter what size. You could be two shareholders, you could be fifteen. Mm. Um, the point of the shareholders agreement, what is it? Mm. Um, the document itself is is very different from what we call the Articles Association. So, okay. a company will have its articles which regulate how it is a business 
operates day to day. Yeah. Um, but what the shareholder agreement does is look at, well, the relationship between you and your fellow shareholders yeah. and creates that relationship, that contractual relationship between you. And so, you know, you can imagine if even if there's only two of you, it may be you both own 50% of the business. What quite often happens, and maybe I'll give an example in a moment, is mm. you end up in deadlock because one of you wants to go one way yes. and one of you wants to go the other way. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't have a document in place to say, well, you're in theoretically dispute, you can't decide what to do, what happens? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, maybe what I'll do, I'll give you two examples I'm working on at, at the moment. Yeah. Um, so, one client, they are they were two friends who'd been friends throughout, throughout their school life, um, had left, set up a recruitment business. Okay. Um, doing very, very well for the last, it yeah, been going for now for just over three years. Um, started off with a very clear vision that this is where they're going to drive the business forward. This is what they want it to look like. Um, and of course, as things develop, things change in life. One of the shareholders has got a slightly different view of where he sees the business driving forward right. compared to the other one. Um, now, fortunately, they do have a shareholders agreement in place. Um, they came to us right at the start when they wanted to set yeah, up. I had that conversation. As you say, well, it's yeah. like two of us. We sure we don't need yeah. a shareholders agreement. Yeah. Thinking ahead, well, Maybe you don't at this point, but there could always be that risk mm. in the future. You may want to have different decision-making powers or something may not go right. And yeah, now where we are, where things have started to fall apart, yeah. um, what that document has, it has deadlock provisions in there. Okay. So it says you can't agree what you want to do on this decision-making point. Um, how do we resolve that? Because you can't outvote each other. Yeah. So the clause in that particular agreement says, well, first we're going to go to a mediation. Okay. So neutral ground. Let's have someone, a third party, help facilitate us try and resolve this dispute, this deadlock we've got. Yeah. Um, and yeah, very thankfully for them, they've gone into that with open minds. Um, the mediator has managed to help them think about, well, how do we move forward? Is this something you want to continue? You know, the one who has a very different view now from what the business started out as. Do you really want to continue or maybe it's something you want to look at moving on? And the outcome of that, what has been the outcome is that he is going, going to move on to do what he wants to do. Um, and we've managed to come up with you know, a, a suitable arrangement where he can leave and take some value from the business to facilitate him starting. And yeah. I suspect what will happen in the future, they will probably join up again maybe in three or four years' time so, you know, once they're both in the same place yeah. to be able to move forward. Yeah, yeah. Now compare that to my other story, right? Yeah. Much more horrendous. Okay. Um, so that is a, a, a chap who's been brought into a business as a sort of buyout mechanism. So two previous shareholders looking at an exit strategy so they could retire. He's been brought in to put some investment into the business, um, and the idea is over three or four years he would pay essentially buy them out and they would leave and he'd right. become the full owner. Yeah. Um, Gentleman's agreement. Okay. <laughs> um, it, it's, I would say it's a construction industry, so you know, quite a lot of things are on handshakes. And mm. you know, some, most of the time it will go right, but there's always that one time it, it will go wrong. And this is one of them. So at the moment he only owns 10% of the business. And the idea is he'd get up to that full ownership over the next you know, three to five years. So at the current time, he's only a small shareholder in the grand scheme of things. It doesn't give him a lot of protection. Didn't think it's sensible to put a shareholders agreement at the time. Didn't want the cost. Wanted to focus on getting the business right before. And he's done a fantastic job of that. Yeah. But of course, the business now has got a lot of value in it. Right. It did. And so, of course, you have a shareholders maybe, you know, starting to feel a bit greedy and have decided just to push him out of the business. Um, essentially removed him from the board of directors. So my client no longer has any control over his decision making, what we're going to be doing day to day. Mm. But he's also stuck with shares, 10% shares, which, 
don't give them any rights per se in terms of making decisions in the business. Um, but also there's no mechanism to say, well, you've got to buy my shares back because you've actually kicked me out. Yeah. So he's been stuck with this 10% with no dividends being declared, no income coming from it. Um, and yeah, this has been a dispute going on for a couple of years because we don't really have a contractual document to guide us into how we resolve this situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And unfortunately for him, what has now happened is the, the business is essentially being stripped and it's going to be going into administration, which under the shareholders agreement, theoretically, there are legality issues around it, but theoretically the other shareholders can do. Right. Um, so in that situation, a simple document could have been very straightforward, put in yeah. place would have meant that at that point he was pushed out. He could have sold his shares to the other shareholders, got his value back, and moved on to a, a new venture. Mm. So, you know, of course, we get clients talking about 15, 20-page document. I'm talking about drag-along provisions or you know, dividend policies. Very dry, sound surrenders. We didn't yeah. really want to touch that. But actually, it's quite a, a make-it-or-break-it document. A lot of the disputes that I end up dealing with with clients, and one thing I will you know, say is that what always happens after we've resolved these disputes is that going forward, the first thing they always ask is, <laughs> yes. where's my shareholders agreement? Yeah. So as you can see, you know, really, really important document. Yeah, it's two, two sort of opposites there, isn't there? One, why you should and why and what, what can happen if you don't. Exactly. Uh, great examples there. Um, just going back to what you said earlier about you went to, you went to train as a barrister at the mm. beginning and then, um, back to beers coming as a solicitor does that mean you can offer your clients a little bit more or a little bit different to just a no- i'd say a normal solicitor but you know what i mean <laughs> i know exactly yeah, what you yeah. mean so yeah, yeah i mean i suppose explain well, what's the difference yeah so barristers traditionally are dealing with all litigation advocacy work so they're the people quite often are pictured with wigs and gowns on in the courtroom before a judge making legal arguments and putting your client's case for you yeah as solicitors are very much in in the sort of beginning of the work preparation for court drafting documents um as well as doing with sort of non-contentious work so you know draft employment contracts or you know drafting share purchase agreements where there's no dispute yeah you know non-contentious work um so in this country there is that divide between those who go off to be barristers and do the advocacy work and those who decide to work in solicitor firms and do non-contentious or just conduct a litigation not being on their feet right now the difference i've got is i spread across the both because as i said before my higher rights i can theoretically do what a barrister does and i can theoretically do what the solicitor does and what that means for my clients is that when I start with a case, quite often I will see it right through to the end, including representing them in court. Yeah. And, you know, court is a scary place. Mm. You know, it's very unfamiliar for most people. I mean, most people don't want to end up in there. It's costly, scary. You've got no certainty of the outcome. Mm. Um, but by me being able to sort of you know, be with them from the very, very early days to that point where sat before a high court judge or a district judge in the county court, mm. there's that sort of consistency, that certainty, some security they feel, mm. actually, I feel quite comfortable to be here with Joe. It's one relationship rather than two, I guess. E- exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously for us, it means, you know, we've got a bit more control on you know, how that case is going to be presented. I've worked on it from day one, so I know the intricacies of mm. that case. Mm. Um and so also it has a massive cost saving for the client too because the preparation work I've already done getting it to trial. So when I get to that that point before I'm before a judge, mm. I'm ready to go, I'm on my feet. Um, but don't get me wrong, there are still cases where there is most certainly the appropriateness to have a barrister on right. board. Yeah. Um, as I say, their day-to-day work is sitting in the courts and tribunals representing clients. So yeah, there is still a need for them. And yeah, I will always say, actually, this sort of case, look, we're in an eight, 10-day hearing. 
it's probably better actually we get a barrister involved, but I will come and support. Okay. Um, and, and yeah, sometimes work with a barrister on doing the advocacy too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm slightly, slightly different in that regard, I suppose, that I'm more naturally focused on being on my feet and call for clients. And, yeah. Um, you know, we had a recent success story, um, issued a claim for a client. Um, the other side decided they weren't going to defend it. Uh, and what that does, it enables us to apply for what we say default judge. In other words, you're not saying you dispute it, therefore surely we must succeed. Okay. Um, judge, very, very good on the day, said, yes, of course, default judgment, there's no defence, you know, we find in your favour. Yeah. Um, so got the client the judgment um, and got them their costs awarded as well. Um, so that was a morning in court before a judge and taking them through all the procedural, horrible yeah. sort of legal rules. Yes. Um, but fundamentally, again, the judge would say, look, he didn't submit his defence. Can we have judgment, please? Okay. Um, and again, you know, giving it out to a barrister, they would have to read into the case, prepare for it. Yeah. Um, you know, additional cost to my clients. Um, and actually, something like that, it's very easy for me to just go up to the court and deal with it because I yes. know I've been there from the start. Yeah, yeah. Is that quite unique? Is, is are there others like you that that have that you know joint thing, or is it, or is it just? It, it is quite yeah. unique. I, yeah. I think at the at the moment, I don't have the numbers to hand, but I think there's only a, you know, four or five percent of solicitors hold okay, higher yeah. rights. So it's. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, quite a small proportion. It's, I'd say, less common because a lot of bigger practices like to, you know, push cases out to barristers. Right. Yeah. That's their world. Yeah. We'll get it ready, but we give it to them and let them move on. So, yeah. um, I'd say it's more traditional in the family courts. A lot of solicitors do their high rights because most solicitors are doing the advocacy for their clients because yeah. they are much more, you know, fragile and need that care. Yeah. Um, but I think there is a trend moving forward of um, in-house advocates becoming more common. Mm. Um, there's a lot more firms who are starting to think, actually, why aren't we doing the advocacy? You know, we yeah. know our clients. We have that relationship with the client. We provide them all these other services. Why don't we provide that? So I think it will become a trend. Yes. Um, but certainly yeah. at the moment, it, it's niche. And I think that's something I can offer, yeah. you know, not just for our clients, but also locally with different firms, um, different solicitor firms, working with them to say, Actually, we've got this case. Joe, could you just go up to the court and do it for us rather than giving it to someone in London yeah. at a much higher cost? Yeah. And, you know, so it, it's, yeah, very, very different from perhaps other work that solicitors do. Yeah. It makes you, it makes you and also Lock Associates, you know, a good, a good firm to, to, to choose, really, isn't it? It's really good. Definitely. Um, just moving on to another topic, mm. um, which I know is, is, is quite popular at the moment, which is workplace immigration, especially mm-hmm. with the Ukrainian war, with people coming over and working here. Tell me a little bit about the ins and outs of that and um, how you can get involved and help people. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, it, yeah, as you say, it's been quite a key area recently with the Ukrainian mm. war and um, really has been a reason why we've decided as a business to drive this particular area of law um, forward. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, predominantly recently it's been dealing with the Ukrainian scheme. So, yeah, the, the homes of Ukraine has been the main one. So clients come to say that we've got a few of our staff who have got houses, spare bedrooms they'd like to go through and, yeah. you know, put that assistance in place. So we've sort of discussed the... Yeah, the pros and of course there are some cons with it as well. Um, and then assisting them with, you know, going through that process. Um, and yeah, what they need to do in terms of getting that in place. And then on the other side, there's also been the employment aspect. So looking at the skilled worker route, which I'd say has probably been the main area that I've focused on. Um, and that's always been a visa route available, um, for migrant workers here in the UK. Yeah. Um, and what that involves is me assisting the client in getting a sponsorship license. So essentially, it's a ticket, a number that enables you as a business to then employ migrant workers. Okay. Um, quite a, as most sort of government applications are, yeah. lengthy, a uh, lot of red tape. We've got to go through um, a lot of document uh, preparation. Um, so taking them through that, and once that is approved, they then got the options of the skilled worker routes or other available routes that are coming into place. Yeah. Um, 
which yeah, so Ukrainians means yeah, if they have Ukrainian staff or want to employ Ukrainian employees, we can get them over to the UK. But also enables them for other migrant workers in the future you know, wanting to employ. You know, now we're out of the EU. Um, you know, German, French, uh, Portuguese, Spanish employees. Yeah, actually, you need that sponsorship license in place now to be able to bring them across the UK to work. Okay. Um, so yeah, focusing mainly on workplace immigration. Yeah. Um, getting those sponsorship licenses in place. Yeah. Getting through applications, and then once the migrant workers here in the UK, our team of HR consultants and HR advise me, um, are trained up to understand the UK uh, visa and immigration policies. Yeah. What needs to be put in place, and how we manage migrant workers to ensure that the client's license isn't tarnished. Yeah. Um, so that ongoing support can be provided too. Excellent. Yeah. I remember Pam saying earlier about um, your, um, you, you're also your human resources department here. So it's a really good overflow of work, you know, um, sort of that can help you with these things. Um, so uh, thanks, Joe. That's a great insight in what you do here, and especially with business law and obviously a, a crossover to employment law, isn't there? Definitely. Um, and um, well, we're on um, we're on June the first, and we're um, yep. we've got two days off, haven't we? The next two days, <laughs> yes. we're all looking forward to a bit of a break. Very much. Um, so uh, thanks for joining us today, Joe. Brilliant. Um, really, Thank you, Nick. really good to see you. Um, all Joe's details, actually, and Lock Associates' details are on this um, on this podcast at the bottom and on the Brilliant Businesses website. So if you need any advice from Joe or the team here, please do get in touch. Um, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, and we'll see you for another podcast soon. Thank you very much.